Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is Thursday, and I hope you are having a wonderful morning. I'm Jenna Ellis. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. We have a lot going on in our world today, so a couple of top headlines for you right off the top. Governor DeSantis, of course, was re-inaugurated this week and gave a message to new Florida residents saying, welcome to Florida, but remember why you left your blue states. I gotta love Florida and the free state of Florida. Uh, Also, concerningly, uh, Life News is reporting that Walgreens and CVS will sell an abortion pill that has killed millions of babies. So they are reporting that leading pro-life groups are expected to launch national boycotts, urging every pro-life American to boycott these companies immediately until they stop selling the dangerous abortion pills. Previously, uh, they were only accessible through uh, the mail, but their decision comes after the Biden administration decided yesterday to allow pharmacies to sell the dangerous drug that has killed millions of babies and injured thousands of women. Previously, this drug could only be dispensed by clinics, medical offices, and hospitals, or under the supervision of a licensed physician. So, of course, this is going to conflict with uh, a lot of the states that are restricting abortion access under a pro-life model. And uh, if this is concerning to you, like it is to me, uh, definitely an action item is not only to uh, go elsewhere for pharmacies and let Walgreens and CVS know of your decision, but also to contact your state legislatures and ask them if this is uh, genuinely available under the states that are uh, restricting abortion in the wake of the Dobbs decision. So also today we are still on day three of the speaker vote watch. So Kevin McCarthy uh, failed to win the speaker's gavel for a sixth time yesterday. That was uh, not exactly historic. A lot of people are wondering how many times uh, can this vote continue? How long can this go on? Uh, Actually back in the 34th Congress. So back in the 1800s, uh, they went through 133 vote cycles before a speaker was elected. So in my view, this is still a great uh, example of what genuine debate can be. There's a lot of back and forth. And uh, today there are reports that Kevin McCarthy is actually uh, threatening the 20 that are now voting no consistently against him and saying that he will play in the primaries with them. And my friend Matt Schlapp, who of course runs uh, CPAC, was on Newsmax yesterday with Greta Van Susteren, and he was saying that McCarthy played in the primaries, and this may be one of the reasons that the 20 are against him. Listen to this. Kevin McCarthy raises political money through his C4, and he plays in primaries, and he puts a lot of political money out there, but he didn't spend any money to help Lauren Boebert, who won by literally a handful of votes. 500. He he played in some of these primaries, like with Mary Miller, against Mary Miller. When you play in these primaries as a Republican leader and you lose, that person's going to come to the Congress 
not being overly enamored with you. And so uh, Kevin McCarthy should reconsider playing in those primaries. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of people, myself included, that uh, were very disappointed in the Mick leadership, which of course includes Ronna McDaniel, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, for not only playing in those primaries, uh, but actually not supporting the America First candidates. And what's interesting about that is that if the Republicans had won the House majority by a greater margin, then Kevin McCarthy could have afforded to lose 20 votes or more and still attained the speaker's gavel. So not supporting America First candidates for the purpose of being able to say, hey, we are the establishment and you need to get on board with our agenda or we are going to cut you out and we're going to say that regular people can't uh, attain these types of offices, that is coming back to bite them. I interviewed former Representative Doug Collins from Georgia yesterday on my podcast. That's at thejennaellisshow.com if you want to listen to the full conversation. But uh, Doug Collins had a really interesting, more um, expansive perspective saying that this isn't just what's going on right now um, as focused on this particular Congress, as much as Matt Schlapp said, his perspective was that this has been festering kind of for decades. So listen to what Doug Collins had to say to me yesterday about this. This didn't happen this month. This didn't happen this year. This has been started all the way back in 2010, 11, really, when the first group of new conservatives came in after the Tea Party uh, issue of the Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, and this was under, remember, the leadership at back then of Boehner, Canner, McCarthy, and, and Ryan, who brought in this new group, not sure how to deal with it. Every year since then, Republicans have had struggles, at least minor struggles, most behind the scenes, on electing the Speaker. It became a, a, a badge of honor for some to not vote for Ryan or Boehner or anybody else for that matter. And all it did was sort of mask what was going on underneath. And this is now full-blown because the the 20 had the ability to vote. Think about this, Jenna. If, if the Republicans had done what we had hoped they would have done in the House and got a 25-30 seat majority, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So that was former Representative Doug Collins of Georgia, who now hosts a, a Doug Collins podcast. I find it really interesting, uh, actually. And he was on my show, The Jenna Ellis Show, uh, at thejennaellisshow.com yesterday, if you want to listen to that full interview. Uh, but, you know, th this is one of those things that I think he's correct, that it has been festering for a while. And if McCarthy had looked at the composition of exactly what was going on, had been negotiating some of these things uh, more up front and started back in the summer, maybe, maybe he would have been, uh, had had a, a um, majority vote that would be 20 plus proof. Um, so there's a lot going on in Washington today about the speaker vote, and I don't think that that's going to be resolved anytime soon. And so whether or not this uh, becomes Kevin McCarthy's uh, fight to either win or step aside, or how exactly this uh, 20 member coalition that are now being termed rebels, among other things, uh, by other members who are on McCarthy's team, um, if they can put forward a candidate that they all back and uh, stick to their position, that remains to be seen. But this can go on for quite a while. One of the good things, I think, is that when you have a 
uh, a stall in Washington like this and you have work that isn't done, sometimes good things happen. So for example, no legislation uh, can go through that's negative right now. And if the government on the federal level did less, that's actually a good thing. Now, definitely there are things that Congress is supposed to do, Congress needs to do that they're not getting done. Uh, a lot of the people who are supporting McCarthy are pointing out that none of the investigations are starting, none of the oversights, none of the committee assignments uh, can happen until a speaker is ultimately elected. But here we have a 20-member coalition that is standing firm, and they're just saying, no, we don't want to go along with the status quo. We don't want to go al along with McCarthy, and we want to make our voices heard. And so how this ultimately ends up, um, I think, is going to be very interesting. It can go on for days, weeks, even months. And it's important to talk about this in the context of our system of government, because I think this is really highlighting and showing very clearly uh, where people in Washington are um, are actually coming from in terms of their perspective. So for example, Representative Dan Crenshaw, who um, unfortunately I'm not really a fan of, um, he has proven himself to uh, be one of the uh, more globalist members. Um, he's, he's uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily just say a rhino. I think that people throw around that term very loosely to just mean someone who's registered Republican or calls themselves conservative that I don't disagree with, so therefore they're a rhino. Um, a lot of people call me a rhino for various reasons just because they happen to disagree with one or two things that I've said. So I think we have to be careful with that term. But definitely, I don't think that Dan Crenshaw um, is exactly who he says that he is in terms of being fully conservative. He's part of the World Economic Forum, but hey, so is Kevin McCarthy. So we have to be very concerned about the true agenda, the true funding of what some of these representatives who are on the Republican side are doing. But he went on the Guy Benson show, which is another radio show out of Fox News, and he actually termed these 20 members as terrorists. I'm not even kidding. Listen to this. Those of us are saying, like, look, you pushed us into this corner, so now we're now we're saying we won't vote for anyone but McCarthy. That's why we're saying it, because we cannot let the terrorists win. I just think that that is so, so inappropriate. And so, um, of course, uh, Tucker had a few things to say on Fox News about that last night. And his comment was that, quote, over the past few years, pretty much every part of the war on terror has been turned against the domestic political enemies of the neocons. What you just saw is the snarling face of the donor class, unquote. And so Dan Crenshaw uh, tweeted at Tucker Carlson and said, quote, unclutch your pearls. It's a figure of speech. You can't insult slander and hold everyone hostage with no way out and not expect me to punch back. Grow thicker skin. So, of course, I responded to that and said to Dan Crenshaw that you can't expect to call 20 members of your own party terrorists for exercising their right to vote for leadership and not expect Tucker or anyone else to punch back. Maybe he needs to grow a thicker skin. So this is now devolving, I think, in Washington from a genuine debate about leadership to um, reported threats from McCarthy, these kind of name calling that are absolutely inappropriate. I mean, to call 
someone who is simply opposing a leadership selection that they have one vote and they have every uh, power under their rules to utilize that vote in the manner that they feel best represents in their best judgment, their own constituency, whether it's a trustee or a true representative uh, model that they're abiding by, they have every right to say, you know, we've reconsidered, even if they had pledged support to McCarthy before. Everyone in this country, whether it's we the people who have a vote to put them in office, or whether when they get into office, they are electing their leaders, they have a right to exercise that vote in the manner that they believe is best. And so for someone like Dan Crenshaw to call them terrorists, especially someone who has served his country, and I'm very grateful for his service and for all of the veterans out there, for him to actually call them terrorists and then just say, oh, sorry, that's just a figure of speech, I think really, really crosses the line. We have to make sure that our rhetoric uh, is not just figures of speech, but that we understand exactly what the parameters here are. Now, you may not agree with the 20, or you may, like a lot of people, including me, think that the 20 are doing a great job of uh, actually moving the ball forward, trying to drain the swamp, and just trying to have a debate. But if you're in the McCarthy camp, then at least give the credit to the 20 that this isn't just about simple math. It's not just about saying, well, you're part of the 10%. This is about saying that McCarthy has a job to do to reach 218 votes. That is the threshold. And if he doesn't reach that, then he fails. And it should be incumbent upon him to get those votes. And if he doesn't in the next couple of cycles, I think even through today or at the very least tomorrow, go into Monday and say, okay, Clearly, the threshold number of members, the majority of the voting members, 218, do not have faith or confidence or simply don't want to vote for my leadership. Therefore, for the good of the country, for the good of the House, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to nominate someone else or we can restructure this whole thing. But I think that Kevin McCarthy is too hungry for power to do that. So at what point should he do that? Well, I think that it needs to be no later than tomorrow if he doesn't get to that 218 threshold. So we will still continue to talk about all of that. So stay with us for more of the top headlines here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of all abortions? Preborn Ministry continues to stand with women in crisis in their darkest hour and bring hope and life. After Marissa took the abortion pill, she immediately regretted it, but Preborn was there for her. Look at that baby. Look how beautiful he is. Look at that. Abortion pill reversal actually works. Let's hear his heartbeat. Oh, look how strong it is. Oh, praise God. By God's amazing grace, this baby was saved, but many more need our help. 
To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lloyd Austin, U.S. Secretary of Defense. He is the leader and chief executive officer of the U.S. Department of Defense. 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, reminds us of God's protection of His people. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent people you save me. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Lloyd Austin as he leads the Defense Department. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. President Trump has weighed in on the House Speaker drama. The former president says Kevin McCarthy would do a good job. And he encouraged renegade Republicans to back the man who secretly conspired to get Trump to resign. Now, I'm not sure Trump's endorsement is going to move the needle that much, and the former president has no one to blame for that but himself. He's the guy who started the movement to drain the swamp. And the 20 Republicans standing in the path of McCarthy's rise to leadership have picked up the mantle. They see McCarthy as a political agnostic of the same mold as Mitch McConnell, more interested in lining their pockets with lobbyist dollars and doing the will of the people. They take power only to make concessions to the Democrats, the most recent example being McConnell's trip to Kentucky with President Biden, where both men are expected to celebrate the massive omnibus. There are still lots of critters in the swamp. I'm Todd Starnes. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And of course, we will continue to have the Washington watch of the speaker vote and everything that happens today. So uh, stay with us through the rest of the hour. And right now I'm very excited to have on my own pastor from Colorado, who has of course been uh, not only uh, my pastor, but a very dear friend to me and my family for years. And I wanted to bring him on the show because as um, you all as uh, as an AFR family, are getting to know me. And of course, I've stepped into uh, this 8 a.m. hour this week, and I'm so excited that you all are joining. I want you to get to know me and the people who have truly influenced um, my life and my perspective. It's always really important as Christians that not only are we growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and we are continuing to be daily in the word and rightly dividing truth, and pursuing God's calling on our life, staying in his will, 
all of these things that the Bible commands, but that we are also assembling together as Christians and we are part of a local church. That matters not only for growing in Christ um, and growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, but also for accountability and also for counsel. Um, There have been many times um, in my life on a wide variety of matters, whether it's personal, professional, or uh, just wanting to to know the answer to a theological question, uh, that my pastor, Gino Geraci, has uh, been very, very kind to give me so much of his time in council over the years. And he uh, was the pastor of Calvary Chapel South Denver um, for quite a few years. And what you need to know about him is that he was actually the first pastor who responded to the Columbine shooting um, quite a number of years ago. That was, of course, uh, one of the top headlines in Colorado at the time. And uh, through that became an FBI chaplain. Um, So he has had a lot of experience in um, counseling people through a wide variety of situations. He also hosts his own radio show on Salem in the afternoon that um, is a talk show that people can call in and ask your questions about the Bible. So he's no stranger to any questions, uh, certainly not ones that, uh, that I have as well. And then he also currently pastors my local church, which is Grace Bible Church of Longmont. So if you're interested in uh, tuning into his messages, we're going through the book of Romans right now. Um, you can definitely go to Grace Bible Church. Uh, I, I believe it's gracebiblechurch.org. But if you just Google Grace Bible Church of Longmont, you can see all of his messages there. So um, with that love and introduction, uh, Gino, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me, Jenna. Yes, and congratulations is... <laughs> on your new program. Thank you. And you know, um, I was reminded as I was preparing today of the long history that we've had. And um, you know, years ago, when I was a student first out of law school, and kind of trying to reconcile this idea of you know, truth is truth, and objective morality is from the Lord. And then how law is taught as completely arbitrary in law school and trying to reconcile how do I be a Christian lawyer? How can I argue for these things? Um, I first met you when I came down to your church because our good friend Nancy Piercy, who of course is a great apologist, was speaking that night. She was a former professor of mine. And I still remember the time that both you and uh, she took after her presentation to answer so many of my questions and to start that conversation, which um, if we knew that night would ultimately result in such a great platform uh, like this radio show to speak truth, to encourage people. Um, I don't think you or I would have ever thought that 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 would happen. But um, but thank you for that. And I want to ask you as a pastor for people who are listening right now who are very discouraged about the state of the world, they're asking questions about end times, and where are we going as a society? What is your encouragement to them in how to just handle the state of culture right now and handle it and analyze it in a biblical way? Yeah, I think one of the ways that I would think about it in, in, the, in the hope category is to, to remind us um, that the things that abide— faith, hope, and love. And what you've come to know and what's been reinforced in your own both personal and professional ministry, and that's that 
that reality is tethered to truth and that that truth is real, that there is such a thing as objective truth. And when you tether to truth, then you have the possibility of going forward. Hence what you, what you even talked about, uh, you know, speaking the truth in love. And I couldn't help but think of, there, there's just so many different ways to think about this. But in, in my own way of thinking about it, it's t- to remind us that God has a plan. God has a plan for us as individuals, that God has a plan for us as a community, and even as a nation, and it goes to the heart of what you've been talking about. The speaker's dilemma right now, I think, is a, is a pericope. It's a little, tiny little peek into what's going on to the nation as a whole. You know, what people have called the, 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 you know, the rebellious Republicans who are holding out against Kevin McCarthy, um, maybe that these 20 people aren't rebellious Republicans after all. Maybe they, they're thinking about conviction versus opinion, and they're tired of business as usual. They're wondering, will anyone ever um, concede that individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, that these aren't just uh, talking points for conservatism, fiscal responsibility, and free markets. They're they're tired of business as usual, and I'm wondering if America is tired of of business as usual. So when we talk about end times, well, I believe that America exists and our government exists (laughs) to promote righteousness and to restrict wickedness and so I think that there's principled people who say, hey, at what point will we take the principles back and then act in what is the nation's best interest versus individual interest? So I think your little drama as it's unfolding in Washington right now becomes a, a tiny peek into what's happening in individual hearts and then around the world. Yeah, and and that's so well said because I think that rather than saying it's always out of a spirit of rebellion to go against the status quo or to challenge a current system and to uh, to make it more firmly attenuated toward the truth, that's not always rebellious, and and it's it's always interesting to me when when people frame our founders as rebellious, uh, because I don't see it that way at all. I think that the founders were loyal to the principles of truth. They understood that truth is self-evident. They understood that God is the one that endows us our rights. And so they were under the authority of of truth and the person of God. And they explained all of that in the declaration. And so their rebellion was against the sin and the infringement of those rights that was being perpetuated of the government system of their time. And I mean, I made those same arguments in the context of representing Pastor John MacArthur, who some called rebellious. And I said, no, he's actually being faithful to God first and faithful to the U.S. Constitution. And if that means he's rebelling against, you know, this little governor, well, fine, because it was Gavin Newsom in California who was actually the one in rebellion against God. So as you're looking at the position of the church today as a pastor, you are very engaged in the culture and in understanding this political framework. Um, Why aren't most pastors, if I can assume that, why aren't most pastors 
similarly engaged and they have this separation of church and state where they say, okay, well, the Bible doesn't cover politics. The Bible doesn't cover uh, anything about culture. The Bible only covers uh, the stories in the Bible and what we teach about God in the four walls of our church. Right. I think what I would say is that that's a false dichotomy, that that whatever it means to be a Christian, it means to be a Christian in reality. And in other words, being a Christian isn't just in the four walls, even in the, in the confines of your heart or in the four walls of the church, that being a Christian is the ability to live out your deeply held convictions in the public square. And so, so my, this, this isn't a novel idea. I think that this is a biblical idea, that we get to live out our lives in the public square. And I think a, a lot of Christian pastors and even churches were saying, hey, so long as the culture and the government provide me with some modicum of freedom, I'm going to have a sort of a live-and-let-live attitude. But I think that that has been one of the challenges and even um, accusations against the modern church, and, and that is we've refused to stand up for truth, or we've refused to um, allow truth to, to permeate the public square. And so I think there are some courageous people. Jenna, you know, you've talked about Lori Smith and, and her case that just came up before the Supreme Court. Before that, Jack Phillips. Yeah, truth or creative. I, I've often wondered, how in, the, how in the world do those two people actually go to our church at Calvary South Denver? I mean, out of all of the 50 states and all across America, what is it about this place, Colorado, that becomes sort of the the hotbed of where the battle is the thickest. So I, I applaud you because, again, you've devoted your life to, to speaking publicly about these important issues, but I think part of it is because you're living out your real faith in the real world. Well, thank you for that. And that, of course, means so much to me. And you're right about that, that, that as I continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the truth, then I can't help but want to share that. And um, and because of that, devoting my life and ministry to speak truth is not just in the context of the church, but analyzing the cultural issues and helping people navigate through um, a lot of these really serious questions in our culture today about how do we speak truth in love. Uh, we are admonished uh, to do that, and often we're called haters or bigots or worse if we speak truth. So then is it in conflict? Is it really not in love? And um, and I'm talking to my pastor, Gino Geraci, out of Colorado, and the URL uh, for that uh, church is gracebiblelongmont.org, mm -hmm. gracebiblelongmont.org. And um, Gino, how have you uh, reconciled in, in your life and teaching and admonishing um, people like me to continue speaking truth in love when we are told by the culture that it's not loving if we don't affirm anyone's sinful lifestyle? Well, I, I think by beginning to have a definition of terms, as you already know, Jenna, whoever can control the narrative or the language gets to control the argument. Uh, 
But what if love means something different than a warm, fuzzy feeling that wells up inside of you, or ple- that, that love is something more than pleasure? What if love is, as the Bible teaches, a willingness to do what's right on the part of the person who's loved? In, in other words, there's, there is an emotional component, but what if there's also a spiritual motivation? What if love means a willingness to do what's right? Well, then we have to ask and answer the question, what is right? We have, now we go to the heart of those other things that you've been talking about, human dignity, free markets, fiscal responsibility, the rule of law, uh, limited government, individual freedom. Are, is, are these just conservative principles, or are they tethered, again, to truth? And does truth have authority in and of itself? Well, imagine you're living in a world that makes truth subjective and detached. Well, guess what? The consequences are a plunge into meaninglessness. And as you know, people really want meaning in their life. How many times have people said to you, Jenna, I just want to know what's real and what's true and meaningful? And... And, and of course, we believe that that's found in the revelation of God in Christ, that Jesus really provides a representation of what it means to have a meaningful life, what it means um, to have hope and grace and mercy and a future. And so, again, I think that when the popular culture says we're going to detach from God or the God of the Bible or a Judeo-Christian ethic, it's really detaching from truth. And what happens when you detach from truth? You get thrown into this morass of of chaos and meaninglessness. Mm, yeah, and and unfortunately, when you have this subjective truth, and it's just my truth versus your truth, then there's no argument to be to really justify why one position is better than another why is capitalism better than socialism and who and how do you define better or good because right. there's there's, no there's such- this Im- implicit basic assumption to that that people use every day but it's untethered to truth right and, and just to your point it, if if truth is real, or if it's not real, then argument, logic, reason becomes tools. And and this is what people who embrace ideological social justice believe, or philosophical naturalism. They say, these are tools for you to oppress me. Right, and we have to to take a break, but we will be right back with (laughs) Gino Geraci here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system 
that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Anyone notice a pattern here? Grace, mercy, and love all require truth. It is unloving to conceal or sidestep truth. Often, people avoid truth and use love as a justification, when in reality, their truth aversion is a self-preservation tactic. You cannot claim to love someone and simultaneously affirm them in a lie. The absence of truth nullifies the application of grace. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Introducing AFA Streaming a new online platform that hosts all AFA-produced video content, including documentaries, church curriculum, American Family Radio shows, and our Cultural Institute series. The Constitution only works in the atmosphere of Christianity. Critical race theory and intersectionality are new religious frameworks. The Christian must say, as Paul said to the Galatians, There is no new gospel. AFA Streaming is a vital step that we are taking to fulfill our vision to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. You'll find top-notch resources that address the issues of our day related to marriage, family, the sanctity of life, and many others. Start streaming today, streaming.afa.net. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And we're continuing my conversation with my home pastor, who I love dearly, Gino Geraci. He is the pastor uh, formerly of Calvary Chapel, South Denver, and is now the pastor of my home church, which is Grace Bible Church of Longmont. And you can find uh, all of his sermons at gracebiblelongmont.org. And so, Gino, before the break, uh, we were talking about how truth is tethered to reality. And when we unmoor ourselves from that fixed point of reference, then we are ambling about in the darkness, ultimately without meaning and without any real argument for defining good, defining better, defining uh, why one system of government is better than the other or why principles of ethics and truth have to apply to business practices, to medical uh, practice and malpractice, to issues 
like a pro-life. If someone is an atheist, doesn't believe in God, then why should they be pro-life? Uh, how would they ever get to that position? Because they don't believe and understand the self-evident truth that all humans are made in the image of God and have inherent dignity and worth. And so as our culture careens down this uh, worldview that is rejecting God and is buying into secular humanism, uh, how are we to live in a culture and speak truth and love? Right. And I think part of the way that we do it is we live out what we believe in the sense of conviction. You know, someone once said that opinions are things that we hold, but convictions are the things that hold us. So imagine in a postmodern culture, the society regards all value, all belief, all lifestyles, all truth claims are equally valid. But it can't hold up. It doesn't hold up in the real world, because as you've already experienced personally and professionally, that our culture actually is inconsistent even with that view. There is all values, beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims aren't equally valid. There's one, there's one truth claim that is invalid to them, and that is the historical biblical view. So why is it that it's the historical biblical values, beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims that come under attack, and, the, and, and for which you have wonderfully, and people like the Alliance Defending Freedom, have come out and said, no, if freedom is real and if, if human freedoms are going to take place, even in a pluralistic society, um, then we have to affirm these things. But you see something far more dangerous, and that is this careening, if it, if it, if it continues, will result minimum in a totalitarian kind of mindset. And so we're in a dangerous place right about now. And as you're, I was listening in on your program when you were talking about, you know, the, what's happening in the Congress and the speaker situation. I think this becomes a, it's, it's not just an interesting thing to me. I think it becomes a symptom of the chaotic consequences um, that are happening in our culture. Hmm. I, I agree with you. And if we don't have a fixed point of reference, or if Christians, uh, if we say that the Bible is not the infallible, sufficient word of God, and we allow ourselves to buy into, well, this is my truth, but I won't push my, my religion or my faith on you, then we lose the argument before we even start because you're right. Um, and I'm talking to Gina Geraci, who's my home pastor from um, Grace Bible Church of <clears throat> Longmont. We end up losing the debate because we then don't define our terms up front. And it's just policy debate or logic debate 101 that the person who defines the terms will win the debate. And right. definitions matter, and having the same definitions matter to meaning, to understanding, to communication, and to living rightly. And so for the people who say, and I, and I get this pushback on Twitter all the time and in other contexts um, you know, where I speak and so forth, that Christianity is just based on a book that has been reinterpreted many times, and we can't possibly 
know that we know truth, we can't know for sure what is true. So we just have to guess. And my response to be to that is, well, how do you know? Right? Exactly. But, but again, from their worldview, it's sort of like, well, what if the Bible is a fiction? What, what if what if the Old Testament was written by Bathsheba, Solomon's wife, and it's, it, it's a literary construct? It's no more real or true than, than Dickens' A Christmas Carol. So imagine you're living in a world where you go, oh, so you believe that this is just a fiction or a human construct. Right. Well, imagine if you make the claim human beings have value and dignity because they're made in the image of God. So a person says, well, you know, I believe human beings have dignity, but not because they're made in the image of God. Well, on what basis do you think human beings have dignity? Because that's the way I want it to be. Well, what if your opinion changes? What if 1939 comes around and you begin passing racial laws, or you even go back further where black people aren't really human, or Jewish people aren't really human, and then you give yourself permission that whatever human dignity means, it's probably on a spectrum, and that some people are more valuable than other people. And, and so again, we're back to, is the Bible? Is the Christian worldview tethered in a revelational sense to reality? Is there a God who really is out there? To me, the most uh, profound way of thinking about this is what's, what's called prophecy. Um, no other document on the planet Earth has as many prophetic statements as the, the, the Bible. And so here you have this claim that the Bible is, is claiming to be a supernatural document from a supernatural God. Now, I get it. I really do get it. There are people who say, I don't believe that. What I would say is the lawyer in you needs to say, what are you willing to accept as evidence? What are you willing to accept as evidence that perhaps it's true? Um, are you... so? To me, that's the difference between a cynic and a skeptic. The skeptic says, I am willing to be persuaded by the evidence. But the cynic says, I've already made up my mind. I've already made up my mind. There is no God, or if there is a God, it's a private matter that I get to create in my own mind. Right. And and it's it always is is unfortunately laughable (laughs) that so many atheists will genuinely live out the worldview that there is no God, but I'm very angry with him. And that's just such an inconsistent position. But as you're talking, well, um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, Gino. No, no, what I was thinking is, but again, they they become hypocrites. And let me tell you how. Because some atheists wind up loving their wife and their children. They wind up borrowing from the biblical worldview just in order to not go crazy and survive. Why do you care about your children? Why do you care about your grandchildren? Why are you honest um, with, at this point and that point? Why have you decided to tell the truth? So they, they literally have to borrow from our worldview just to function. Right. And even using the terms 
good and evil, right and wrong. They're borrowing from an objective truth. And so they are inconsistent in their professed worldview of meaninglessness and lacking definitions, which is exactly the sum of the secular humanist view to say there is no meaning. We are all on this spectrum. I mean, this is why we have gender ideology and the entire trans movement is because uh, the left wants to make human beings uh, limitless in the sense that we can't define the contours. And when you were talking, Gino, earlier uh, about the racial laws um, that used to be in place or these um, in history, the Holocaust, where um, there there was this movement that treated an entire uh, nation of people as less than and worthy of extermination. And, and we would all collectively, even the atheists and the most rabid leftists would say, yes, that's a horror. That's where anti-Semitism is wrong. Well, we would agree with that, of course. But what they don't logically extend further is that that same horror and that same ideology that is false is exactly what they're arguing with respect to the unborn and with respect to the elderly and people who they would say are not of value for any subjective reason. So just because a person is not yet born, they are then subjectively and arbitrarily saying that their life no longer has inherent dignity and worth. And if we as Christians allow on the spectrum of life from conception all the way to natural death, if we move the lines anywhere along that spectrum of life and say, here's the arbitrary point that personhood and therefore our rights attach and begin, which is the actual question of abortion then and abortion regulation, then we are allowing a secular humanist view to come in in a way that they have already suggested and they have already conceded is horrifically wrong. And so this is why worldview matters, because we yeah, have it to really take does. And, our you know, view. It's really yes. interesting if you look back to the Kevin McCarthy situation, where the critics, the critics, the critics are basically saying that Representative Kevin McCarthy uh, can't get ultra-conservatives to cooperate. What's interesting to me is, again, the claim that it's, that it, that it's extreme, it's extreme to believe in human dignity, the extreme view of human dignity. H- how is it possible to, to embrace the view that we want to kill the unborn child at every possible stage of its development, that that's not the extreme view, that the extreme view is that life should be protected in the womb? Or why is fiscal responsibility an extreme view? Why is peace through strength an extreme view? Why is the rule of law an extreme view? Why is individual freedom an extreme view? So, yeah, I think what we have to do is what you're doing. We have to push back and say, but, but again, most people aren't willing to define their terms and go forward in a conversation based on reality. Right. And if they're not willing to concede up front that reality is self-evident, then we can't even have a conversation. And this is why questioning someone's worldview is the basis of beginning a conversation. Because if you're trying to talk with a leftist who doesn't think that 
truth exists or that we can't know truth, then we'll never progress in that conversation until they are willing to be confronted with reality. And this is what you're doing as well. Um, I'm talking with Gina Geraci, who's my home pastor. What he does every day on Crosswalk, which is, um, (laughs) of course, (laughs) your show on uh, Salem. And it's a wonderful show. People can call in, ask biblical questions. And in just the last few minutes that I have here with you, um, Gina Geraci, Um, I'm so thankful for your time today, and thank you for your investment in my life and my family and teaching all of this. Um, One of the questions that I'm sure that you get a lot, and that certainly I get a lot, and I'm sure um, some of the the people who are listening this morning um, have wrestled with, is this idea of women in ministry and Uh the difference between... Um, women as pastors versus women doing, for example, what I'm doing right now. And you and I had a conversation in a different context about this. And in just the the last few minutes, um, I wanted you to share that perspective because I think it's just so well and truthfully articulated. Well, um, I think people get confused about leadership in general and occupying the biblical office of a ruling pastor in a, uh, in a church. So when we ask and we answer the question, what does the Bible say about women pastors? What, what I'm talking about is a, a, a person who, is in the, who occupies the role of, of the ruling pastor in a church. So usually people will cite 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where basically it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she should remain quiet. So some people have taken that verse to mean that a a woman can't um, occupy a role of teaching or leadership. But uh, again, the the, the past that, that passage does preclude women from occupying the role of the ruling pastor in the church. But it, but it doesn't address the issues that the rest of the Bible basically talks about. Um, and that is that women are gifted human beings and they are being, are, and they've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. And the way I would articulate it is they have every responsibility to occupy, if you will, the leadership roles that God assigns to them in any given um, period and of time. so well articulated. Of Miriam, we are out of time. Um, Gino Geraci, really appreciate it so much. I'll have to have you on uh, to further that conversation. I'll give you about two minutes here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Tune in every day, and you can also... Uh, Go to Calvary Chapel of uh, South Denver for Gino Geraci, and I will see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.